Ah, Summer Blue Mountains, good to be here. And if you're new tonight, welcome, especially welcome. We're in a, a two little series running parallel. This is one that's going to take a long time on the gifts that God gives us. Uh, we've Six weeks or a couple of months ago, we did one on the gift of hospitality. We've done a sermon on the gift of mercy, uh, the gift of encouragement. And tonight we're looking at the gift of evangelism. And uh, I'm not sure what you think of when you hear the word evangelist. Um, it may be a word you're unfamiliar with. It might be a word that you have some negative connotations. You know, we often hear of the tele-evangelists. Uh, and and that's almost synonymous with unscrupulous behavior or dodgy behavior or, or a hypocrisy in the way people operate. Uh, that's a real pity. The idea of self-serving, that a person is just there giving their message, trying to force it on somebody else. That, that's just such a pity. And what I want to do tonight is to give us that Bible view, which will give us quite a different perspective. Um, one which will tell us about a self-sacrificing idea, a person who is so concerned for the other that they want them to know about God like they do. So there's self-sacrifice. Sometimes we hear the word evangelist as someone who just kind of plows on, you know, kind of punches their way through with the, the ideas they've got and they want to impose it. They're culturally insensitive. And yet it seems to me that when you look in the Bible, the idea of an evangelist is someone who is a master of cross-cultural communication. Someone who is so concerned for the other, they're, they're listeners. They want to understand that other person and then bring the message in that context. That That's the, the sort of way we want to think about this. Focused, so they listen, they serve, and they genuinely have good news. And that's the, the key idea. An evangelist is the person who brings the evangel, if I can, uh, the, the, the Greek word behind that, and it means the good news. It's the kind of thing that when someone has done something great, you know, a great king or, or some general, and they'll send the message, there is good news. And as we think about this idea, the evangelist brings the good news from God. God's good news. Evangelism is what we're talking about. Now, we all long for good news. Um, in our dark times in life, we long for good news. And when we perceive real anxiety, uncertainty ahead, or when things are just black, then we look for good news. It's a natural thing. And, and we're kind of used to it, I think, in our culture. There is seeped into our culture, the bringing of good news. I was watching a movie the other night, one of the great World War II movies called The Bridge Too Far. Straight away you know it's not a good news ending, don't you? Uh, it's one of those classic um, retelling of the tale of Operation Market Garden, it was, as it was called in 1944, where the Allied forces were trying to punch their way through uh, Holland into Germany to end the Second World War and they overstretched themselves. They went a bridge too far, and there's this one point at which the general comes, and they're getting the operational brief, and he says, it's Sean Connery, so he speaks. So what's the good news, he says? What's the good news? And the uh, colonel says, there is no good news. They've tried too hard. They've gone too far, and the whole story hangs on that. And behind the, the movie is the reality of of uh, tens of thousands of people killed because the generals had overstretched what they thought they could do. There was no good news. And it is such a sinking feeling when you go, oh my goodness, all those people suffered because the way that thing played out. And in our life, we look for good news. And what we think of with the evangelist is the person who brings the ultimate good news. The good news of, in relation to God, you can be friends. 
In relation to your sins, they can be taken away, washed away. In relation to your status, you can have one of a child of God. That is good news. There is good news when we think about God. We see the importance of being bearers of good news. This is true for everybody. You know, one of the things we've been looking at through this uh, series is that there are some with a gift, but all of us have got to do a bit of it. You know that idea. And so uh, this passage in 1 Peter 3, everybody is to give a defense for the faith that's in them, the hope that's in them. And interesting, if you're listening to that passage that was read, it's a context of some severe opposition. And yet you're still to be a person who will speak up and claim, I am a person of hope. Uh, you're to do it with gentleness, uh, graciousness in the community in which you're, uh, you're mixing. We are all to have the good news on our lips, ready to speak. But not all of us are evangelists. We see in the passage of Ephesians 4 the, the significance that some are uh, gifted in this way. They are the evangelist, the one who will be not necessarily professionally, but, but continually. They somehow have been made by God to bear that message and to want to see it brought out again and again to those around. There's another concept too that I think is important for us and it comes up in um, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4 where the great apostle Paul is writing to Timothy and to Timothy but also as a, a, a stand-in for all leaders, I think. He addresses him as man of God a kind of a catchphrase from those Old Testament men of God, uh, a leader in the church, uh, and he says you are to do the work of evangelist. So I think one of the criteria for everybody who would be a leader in the church, not that they have the gift, but that they would do the work, that they would, uh, when they publicly preach, they would give the opportunity for people to hear about Christ and call them to him. Not enough for you if you're a leader in a church just to say, I don't have the gift, I won't preach evangelistically. I won't encourage people to know God. I'll just go and pastorally care. I don't think that's an option if you're in a leadership position. I think there is a do the work of an evangelist. I think that um, you would then look around and you'd see the evangelist perhaps being more successful. But it is interesting in pastoral ministry how many opportunities come your way. And I've experienced that in uh, former years myself to share the faith and to see people come to know God. So some have the gift, we're all to do it, and particularly those who are in uh, Christian leadership are to do the work of the evangelist. Well, as we've been going through this series, I just said to Marion in the car coming uh, to church tonight, uh, I hope people don't get bored of this structure. I'm not bored of it yet. I've done four sermons, the same sort of structure, uh, because what we get to do is look at who God is. And I hope you get excited by that, as I do, as I've been reflecting on just the... um, the little treasure that I've had over the last couple of weeks reflecting on our God and who he is and how he ministers and in this particular thing of the bringer of good news. Um, one of my difficulties is I have to kind of just focus on a few verses. Uh, you know, we're looking at half a dozen or so here and um, there's so much, so much that God is the bringer of good news. So you think just in terms of the Old Testament and... Um, the Old Testament, very early on we see people reject God. Very early on it would be easy for God to reject people and yet he brings good news. He's the one who brings the gospel, the evangel, that, that message of newness, of new possibility. 
And I think as I was just reflecting kind of globally of the story in the Old Testament, the heartache of God is so evident when people reject. And yet he pursues and sometimes there's heartache to follow that. But God is not just um, calling out a message that doesn't matter to him, but that God calls people because his, his heart is broken when people are away from him. That he wants to draw them to himself. Uh, sometimes heartbreak afterwards, and yet God still calls and draws. Interesting too, you see a lot of that in regard to how he relates to Israel, his people Israel, but you see it also that he, he pitches the picture much bigger. The nations, all the earth is the picture. You see that in Psalms or Isaiah, where, where God calls out, and, and that ancient promise that he gave to Abraham to bless all people through Abraham, that he calls to the nation and says, I'll bless you, I'll bless you. You may be far away from me, but I'll draw you close and you'll get a knowledge of me and you'll get blessing. And thus the promise to Abraham will be fulfilled. There's a couple of little key ideas. One is that they are attracted to God. They're attracted to come to Jerusalem to learn from God's people. That's the one element as you see these prophecies unfold. The next is that they are to bow down. You are to bow to the Son, to God's Messiah. Uh, repentance must be a part of that. You can't just come and get blessing from God. You must come and recognize God is God. And blessing flows. So they, they are attracted. They come. They bow down in repentance. And then they are blessed. Sometimes it's a hard thing for God's people to get a handle on. Um, Jonah is the classic. We looked at him a, a, a time before. God's extraordinary message bearer, Jonah, who goofed it, who, who was so caught up with the reality of his own identity and his own people's identity that he, he didn't want God to be so gracious and kind and such a, a bringer of good news. And yet God says, shouldn't I be concerned for those people? And I love the little verse, and the many animals, the many cattle. Oh, oh, oh you know, we own chooks. They matter to God. Dogs, yes. God is concerned for his whole creation. Cats, I'm not so sure about. But, but all his creation, generically speaking, I'll allow. So, so here is this, this uh, view of God that his heart is engaged in giving that good news because he wants people to have the blessing that he has and offers, for them, offers to them. We see it, of course, in the ministry of Jesus. And I'm just going to grab verses from Luke's Gospel, uh, just as a, just because we're going to narrow it somehow. So I'll just grab this thing from Luke. So we have the, the angels declare joy, great joy. It's a lovely thing when angels declare great joy. There's fear, of course, those <laughs> shepherds in that field. They were, they were scared by this, but they were challenged in their fear to have joy. I guess maybe those two things might be closely related when you are panicked, but then you go, oh, it's a good thing. My son the other day um, with a whole bunch of friends watched um, the complete extended series of uh, Lord of the Rings. We're talking three videos, four hours each. And um, started at two in the afternoon, went through to uh, two or three at night. And uh, I would sneak down and watch a little bit and go back and do some work and sneak down and watch a little bit. And um, Tolkien, when he was writing, 
the books from which the movies came. Uh, I was just noticing this the other day. He has this concept of what he calls a catastrophe, EU, meaning a good catastrophe. And you see it again and again. If you watch the movies, not even the extended ones, even just one of them, what you'll notice is things get desperate. There. And you, you're reading a book, you're seeing the movie, you think, whoa, how can I get out of this? And then a good catastrophe happens. Some, you know, some great lumbering tree comes through and smashes the baddies. Or some flood happens, or, or some Gandalf goes from grey to white. How did that happen? There's a new catastrophe for you. Some, some unexpected, amazing, saving thing. Tolkien, of course, a Christian. Where do you get that idea of new catastrophe? Ah, oh, sounds a little resurrection to me. And this is the experience, you see, of God bringing joy to these uh, declaration of a saviour. A, a huge catastrophe, a, a thing unexpected, but God in flesh, these angels announce. This God in flesh, this saviour that they declare, is then known as a friend of sinners. Isn't that an extraordinary thing? That, that you could read through the Old Testament, you could have this idea that God is so holy and so separate from sin that the most unlikely thing in the world would be that the Son of God would be the friend of sinners. And yet, and yet, he was so known. It was a, it was a put down, it was a slur, it was a way of getting at him. And yet, it's a badge of honour when you think about the friend of sinners who would even die for those sinners. Evangelists are like that, you know. They like the company of people outside of church. What a curious thing. They do. They genuinely like people who are not in church. It's not because they don't like them they give the good news. It's because they like them they give the good news. And so show themselves to be like their Lord. To be a friend of sinners is a strange thing. Uh, I was uh, bowled away uh, having lunch in Melbourne one time, uh, talking to some Christian women, and they said that they took cupcakes to a local brothel. They were friends of sinners. It was a very strange ministry, they said, very difficult ministry. Their husbands were concerned about them, understandably, but they won the goodwill of the brothel owner. I can't even imagine that ministry. It wouldn't be appropriate for a guy, obviously, but I can't even imagine what that would be like, that ministry. And yet the friend of sinners, an evangelist. Jesus shows himself so like God with his parables in Luke 15. The, the lost things, lost coin, sheep, son. And I don't know if you've noticed, but one of the little themes in those three parables is the rejoicing when the lost thing is found. The heart is gladdened. There's, there's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner coming back, says Jesus in that chapter. Evangelists often are misunderstood, you know, as kind of scalp hunters trying to get people. That's not my experience of evangelists. My experience as evangelists is that it, people matter to them. They deeply matter to them. And their eternal security matters to them. And, and the thought that a person could come and know Christ just fills their heart with rejoicing. And that's what motivates them. It, they are committed to people, has been my experience. Not to kind of scalps, you know, getting a name. I got six this week, you know, something. 
Luke 19 says uh, Jesus came to seek and save the lost, the Son of Man, in his own words. It was in the context of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, uh, we're told, a little man had to go up onto a tree was seen to see Jesus. And Jesus looked up and called him down. And he, he invited himself, that hospitality thing, Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus's place. And Zacchaeus hears the message of Christ and he is transformed as a person. He goes from a hoarder to generous. And Jesus says, uh, today salvation has come to this child of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. The transformation of that man's life. Think, think what a blessing that is to be that person. You go from a miserly hoarder, ripping off people, known as a rip-off in the town, to become a person of generosity. I'm going to give away the money. Anyone I've defrauded, what a transformation. Anyone I've defrauded, defrauded I'll give them back the money. I'll, I'll double it. And I'll give away half I've got to the poor. What an extraordinary bounty that this person has shown. And Jesus says, the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. Now in Luke 9, uh, Jesus says, you're not to tell about me to his disciples. But in Luke 24, he says, now it's time. And you know what's happened? The cross and the resurrection. Earlier on, no, no, you don't quite get it yet, guys, but come to the end of the Gospel and then come to the start of uh, Acts chapter 1, go to the world, go to the world, take that message out. This message of good news is to be proclaimed. And if I can jump outside of Luke's Gospel, just one verse which I reflect on regularly, 2 Corinthians 5, where we're told God in Christ was reconciling the world to himself. God was in Christ reconciling, bringing good news to the world. God is the great evangelist. Let's think how that works out as he gives his gift, what he has, to the evangelist. This is the first of uh, what we would call the word gifts that we've looked at in our little series. And uh, we're going to look at some more later and I'll, I'll talk more about the significance of the word gifts. Uh, but they are a cluster of what I'm calling the originating gifts. This is where the church comes from at a human level. It's as God gives his word to apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers, as he gives his word, then they create the church. That word is what brings the church to life, is what causes it to be equipped, is what causes it to grow to maturity. That's the logic of Ephesians 4. The evangelist, of course, is critical in that part of the story. Where will the church come from if the evangelist doesn't give the evangel the good news? Well, that's what he does. That's what she does. That's the, the gift that they have, is to take that message to men and women, to boys and girls, so that they'll know the message. And they offer salvation in Christ to those around. Now, the world needs this gift. This is what the world needs. This is what People who are in darkness need to hear, see this light. People who are deaf to the goodness of God need to hear the good news. People who are dead in their sins need the resurrection of Christ and the evangelist brings that message. 
Now, it is worth us noting, and those of you who are not evangelists, I just want to, the evangelists, you can just sort of sit back and smile at this, but um, those of you who are not evangelists, who don't have the gift, um, I need to explain to you that evangelists are quite different people. I've already given some clues on this, that they like people outside church. Curious thing. Um, what I discovered this when I used to go to clergy conferences, you know, lots of pastor teachers, lots of church leaders. And um, I'll, I'll let you in on a few secrets here. What happens is when maybe 30, 50, 80 um, church ministers get together at a conference, the first thing they do is they complain about the church. Okay, <laughs> You know, they, they complain about, you know, this lady and that happened and they've other staff members. and You know, like any of us do when we get together with other people we know. You know, you go, oh, how's it going? Well, oh, I've got this problem. Anyway, so then they get over that, like we all do. And then what do uh, ministers talk about? They talk about the Word of God. They talk about the latest book they've been reading that helps them understand the, the subtle things of two kings. You know, and they get really excited about that, as they should. And they'll talk about the sermons that they're preaching and the concepts that they're working with and, and how they're wanting the Word of God to get into the lives of their people, just as they should. And so I was very used to those conferences and then I ended up mixing with a group of evangelists uh, in, in the uh, organization Church Army. And I would go to the Church Army evangelist uh, conferences and they were just very different. So the first thing would happen, everyone would get together and what would they do? They'd complain about their church. And then they'd complain about their, their pastor, the senior minister, and other people around. And after they got over that, like we all do, you know, they'd talk about heaven and hell. They would talk about eternal realities. And it was like, oh, here's somebody else that thinks the same way I do. I found that an extraordinary revelation to me about the way we're wired, the way God has made us. And it gave me this insight that I think is true for each one of us, that the gifts that we have get excited, enthused by certain Christian doctrines, certain Bible ideas, Bible concepts. Each gift is energized by a particular doctrine and set of Bible ideas. I want to say to you, whatever your gift, you ought to know what those doctrines and Bible ideas are. You ought to become a little mini-expert in them. That's one of your tasks. Now, when you talk to somebody whose gift is teaching, and they want the whole Word of God to be in your lives, why? Well, because that's what excites them, the whole bit. And so rightly, they're trying to teach you the whole bit. But I want to say on the side, whatever your gift is, know that well. Know the Bible ideas. That's why part of the way this series is functioning is, is for me to give you the kind of the biblical perspective, who God is in this area. Become a mini-expert in your own gift area. And evangelists do the same in your area. Now, I want to say that the church needs this gift. It is one of those originating gifts that is part of how the church is created and formed and grows and matures. Each one of us need evangelists around because each one of us needs the excitement, the pleasure, the thrill of seeing new people come to Christ. There is nothing like it. There, there is, it is just such a heartening thing to see new people come in who own the, the Lord, who, who have gone from darkness to light whose lives have been changed, because they give testimony. They're excited, and rightly so. And so we need evangelists. We all need what they do, taking the message. 
and bringing such joy then into our fellowship. We need that. The other thing we need, and this is a little more subtle, we need to adjust ourselves for the new person. We are enriched by changing to enfold the new person. That's not how we normally think. We normally think, oh, here we are, they come in, they fit in. No, no, no. They come in, we all change, and we are better for it. We need what the evangelist does. Furthermore, we need to defer to the new person who might just be an expert in reaching more new people. And that's weird too. Because we have to listen to the voices of people who have not fully entered and are still a little strange and are not completely socialised, are any of us, <laughs> not completely socialised into the life of the church. There, there is a built-in humility that we must have to the outsider so that they can bring a new perspective. Now, they'll need teaching and growing and changing and all that sort of stuff too, but as a, as a fellowship, we need what the evangelist does, and that is to bring in new people who have understood the gospel message. Let me just take uh, two minutes on the shadow side of being an evangelist. Like most um, of the gifts, it's always possible to think that everybody should be like you. Um, it's possible to think that if I've got the gift, or at least I've got this insight of heaven and hell, of eternity, of salvation. Only the really serious ones get that. And if you're not right up with that, then you're not serious enough in your commitment. That's, that's one of the failings of an evangelist. The great pity of it is that they don't just get out and gather people around them and do the work of evangelism, uh, gathering others around them, because they think the others should be doing what they're doing. No, no, no. That's one of the shadow sides. Another shadow side is the idea that thinking only eternity matters. Well, you see, God actually made the world with more than eternity. God, God is concerned about the temporal. God is concerned about more than eternity. He's concerned about eternity. We're going to hang out with him for a long while there. But, but he is concerned for this life, for this world, this creation, which will be a new creation, not an obliterated creation. So we need to um, get beyond that if we're an evangelist. God is clearly interested in more than eternity. The other um, shadow side of evangelist is, is withdrawing from the church. Ah, they don't understand, they're not geared up for my program, I'm going to go out there. And it's always tempting for the evangelist to go out there because that's where they want to be, out there, and not do the proper linking in the life of the church. These are the shadow sides. Every gift has a shadow side. Let me conclude. We're all to be ready to speak up and explain the faith. If you're not good at that, get better. Because you never know, God might just bring a neighbour or a friend along. Um, you know one of the things too I've noticed, is he's probably not going to um, sit the person next to you on the plane. Do you hear these stories? I hear stories, I've got conference people. I was flying from here to there and the person sat down next to me and I shared the faith and they became a Christian. I don't think that's ever happened to me. You know, I either sit next to nobody and I go, oh good, I can relax. Or, or I sit next to somebody who who's completely ignores me or somebody who is... Is, is in that situation where they, they're just kind of mulling over really weird stuff and I don't have a clue of how to kind of answer them biblically or spiritually or help them at all. I come away going, what was that all about, God? I, I could have been reading a book or sleeping, you know, and I had to listen to that person. You're getting a feel, I'm not an evangelist. 
what I have noticed is God puts next to evangelists people who are ready to hear the gospel. This is one of the things that evangelists don't realize. They get lots of opportunities because God has kind of engineered the world around getting the gospel to someone who's ready to talk it. Once you get that insight, I think the, the world changes a great deal. Evangelists, of course, they have lots of opportunities because God brings them to them because he's already equipped them. The God has made them, has engineered this world. But each of us will have opportunities. And so each of us should be ready, as it said in 1 Peter 3. Some of us have the gift. The rest of us, when we see that gift, are amazed and applaud, as we do with all the gifts. When you see an evangelist, you say, how do they do that so well? Then the rest of us just stand back and say, I'm glad they're in the kingdom. I'm glad God has equipped them. And we applaud, because we're applauding the God who has gifted them with such a great gift. We see the heart of God in that message. One of the reasons I love speaking about the gospel and preaching gospel sermons is because I read gospel myself. I get to declare how great our God is. And when it comes out of your mouth, you'll enjoy it too. And when it comes out of the mouth of the evangelist, we see God will take that and use that and change people's lives. And we get to see how great a God we have, who is the God, who is the great evangelist. Let me pray. Our Father, we thank you that the message of the gospel has come to us. We thank you, Father, that many of us have heard and come and bowed down in repentance and have received your blessing. We thank you for that, Father, for the wonderful message that we know in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you gift some to be evangelists. All power to them, Father. Strengthen them, encourage them. Equip us, each one of us, to be able to speak your word also when you call us uh, to do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What I'd like you to do is just three or four.